truck and load. This is Steve Dace. The Steve Dace Show. And greetings. Welcome to uh, today's show, live and on demand on The Blaze. Happy Monday to all of you. I am Steve Dace. It's a big week around here. A tradition unlike any other. Okay, we we just started it last year. But uh, it's Jersey week. It's confirmed? It is confirmed. I think it, I think I just got done with my workout today. I'm like, you know what? I think this is this needs to be Jersey week. So today's, we bust out the uh, the Nolan Ryan, and you can't see his name on the back because I'm looking at you. But uh, this is the uh, throwback Nolan Ryan warm-up jersey. The old Stroh's jerseys are yes. always nice. Certified Cooperstown collection from 1980. See, Several years ago, when I first lost the the first bunch of weight that I had to lose, finding clothes actually became more difficult than when I was morbidly obese. And the reason why is because I still had a bit of a belly, um, but the rest of my body had really slimmed down. So finding shirts and stuff that fit wasn't ideal, um, unless I wanted to be really expensive. And you guys know I I just don't care that much. I do so, know that. Yeah, you know that. So um, I discovered that jerseys actually worked out pretty well. You know. Because they're meant for you know guys that typically have different proportions. So, I and, and I've always been a huge sports fan, so I started collecting these. So, over the course of the next few days, uh, the uh, the audience will be regaled with with my level of of sports nerdiness. So I know everybody is not nearly as excited about that as I am. Yeah, there'll be something regaled. Thank you. Eight 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 nine hundred thirty three ninety three. He's googling what the, what that word means right now. You can also uh, let us know what you think about what we think. Email us, steve at stevedace.com. That's the email address. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at Steve Dace Show. And the last name is spelled D-E-A-C-E. We have, uh, on a typical day like today, we've come to drop some truth bombs here on the Steve Dace Show. That's why we like our friends over at Swiss America. They're about dropping truth bombs as well. And boy, howdy, is their latest an absolute truth bomb. It's called The Secret War, and it explains why the government wants every financial transaction to be taxable and trackable so that it can also be blockable. And what our friends at Swiss America do is they firmly believe uh, in the Lord's words uh, that the worker is worth his hire. You are, you have earned your productivity. Therefore, it deserves to be protected. They look at socioeconomic, geopolitical trends, both domestically and uh, all over the globe. And they're very concerned when they see an American company like Google aligning itself with our primary economic rival, China, to create a social credit system that's right out of a Black Mirror episode. And they're connecting the dots and wondering, hey, is this where we could see leftists and progressives take us here in the West in the not-too-distant future? If you want to learn more about The Secret War, this report is free if you give them a call at 800-289-2646. That's 1-800-289-2646. Or uh, you can log on to their website, SwissAmerica.com. That's SwissAmerica.com. And now, here's Aaron with what happened while we were away. What happened while we were away? Brought to you by A Taste of Pride. If you don't fully endorse what you're about to watch in the following videos, it means you are, in fact, a bigot. For those of you listening to the podcast, what we're watching right now is a young boy, no more than 10 or 11, dancing in an extremely provocative manner with nothing more than skin-tight short shorts in front of a group of cheering adults at what appears to be a pride parade. The next video, with an extremely high production value from Vice, comes with the caption... 
These kids are the next generation of drag queens. It depicts a number of young boys dressing up like girls and then later walking down a runway to the applause of adults in the room. Again, if you have any problems whatsoever with those videos, you're a bigot. Bigot. On the other hand, though, in the encyclopedia entry for Like a Boss is this video of a 13-year-old girl from Raleigh, North Carolina. My name is Addison Woosley. I strongly believe that abortion is murder. I also believe murder is wrong. So I'm here to ask you to make abortion illegal in Raleigh. Abortion reminds me of slavery. Owners said that their slaves were their property and they could do whatever they wanted with them. Just tell moms about their babies. My hope is that in a few years we'll look back at abortion and think, that was so cruel, I can't believe we did that. Just how we all look back at slavery. Are you choosing to be like the plantation worker flogging the little black child? Or are you going to protest even if it costs your life like Martin Luther King Jr.? Who are you going to be? If you think abortion should if you think abortion should be illegal, would you please stand up? We need to change the law to change the Order, 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 order. If you think abortion should be illegal, would you please stand up? We need to change the law to change the world. So let's stand up and do it. Thank you. Order. Order. Yes, very courageous to scream at a little 13-year-old girl with whom you disagree. Also courageous in a deranged sort of way is Sophie Lewis, the author of a new book which seeks to change the left's arguments on abortion forever. We're facing a really terrifying attack on abortion in the U.S. where I live, in Northern Ireland and elsewhere. In the past, the strategies that um, our side has tended to use have included a kind of uh, seeding of ground to our enemies. Abortion is in my opinion, um, and I recognize how controversial this is, um, a form of killing. It is a, a form of um, killing that uh, we need to be able to defend. But looking at the biology of this kind of hemochorial placentation helps me think about um, the violence that innocently a fetus meets out um, vis-a-vis a gestator. Um, and that violence is, is an unacceptable violence for someone who doesn't want to do gestational work. Um, the violence that that gestator meets out to essentially go on strike or exit <laughs> that, that workplace is an acceptable violence. So let me translate. The unborn baby, by the very nature of it being alive, is committing an act of violence against his or her mother, and the only penalty for that violence is a violent death. Mullick approves. A new NPR PBS Marist poll question took the national temperature on abortion recently. Only 18% of respondents support the Democrat position on abortion, with 48% supporting a ban on abortions altogether or with some exceptions. The University of Alabama is returning a $21.5 million donation and changing the name of one of its buildings after Hugh Culverhouse Jr., a large donor to that university's law school, encouraged businesses and prospective students to boycott the state and the school. Senator Josh Hawley of Missouri wrote a piece for Christianity Today recently called The Age of Pelagius, which is making theology nerds go nuts in a good way as it defines and rejects the heresy of Pelagianism and makes the case that it's more prevalent in modern America than ever before in history. An update on the Democratic race for the White House. Gay rights, gay rights, gay rights, gay rights. 
That's so cool how they captured a totally spontaneous moment from Senator Gillibrand. I mean, that's so genuine and, and all of that stuff. A new Des Moines Register poll of Iowa shows Joe Biden with an eight-point lead ahead of Bernie Sanders. Meanwhile, Elizabeth Warren and Pete Buttigieg are not far behind. Beto O'Rourke, your thoughts. Um, there is a lot of time before the Iowa caucus. Um, we've never been guided by a poll before. You've never been guided by a poll before. No? Okay. And finally, Eric Swalwell was expecting some applause. But I will always be real with you. I will be bold without the bold. Hello. Is there anybody in there? And that's what happened? Well, we were away. Please clap. That guy, man. Wow. That guy. He's the cure for premarital sex. He is like, he's like a scared straight video. That guy. He lowers sperm counts everywhere he goes. Everywhere he goes. I mean, that guy... Lindsey Graham called and said, that guy's T-level is a problem. Okay. Genesis 950 wants you to know that, uh, and they're sponsoring Aaron's Montage today. If you're thinking of replacing your carpets anytime soon uh, because of pet stains, you want to give them a shot. Because replacing carpets, particularly when you throw in the padding and the labor, is not an inexpensive proposition. So you have to give Genesis 950 a try. It breaks down the bonds of stains and odors so that they are gone for good and it's antibacterial components make it safe for your pets and for your entire household in fact this cleaner you can use it everywhere uh, you can use it from the nice stuff in the kitchen the quartz and the granite uh, to the grease and the oil stains uh, there and on the floor of the garage but where it really shines uh, is when you use it on your carpet you can use it in your own carpet cleaning machines you can do it by hand whichever way you want to do but before you make the major investment for new carpeting Make sure you try first Genesis 950. And you can get a discount today if you use promo code Blaze when you go to the website. Promo code Blaze at Genesis950.com. One more time. That's promo code Blaze at Genesis950.com. We're going to talk about the Des Moines Register Iowa caucus poll. And it was also announced over the weekend the Iowa caucuses are going to be Monday, February 3rd. 2020, so the day after the Super Bowl. We're going to get into that uh, in the overtime today, exclusively for our Blaze TV subscribers, and we'll be breaking that down a little bit later on. Uh, our good friend Bob Vanderplatz is going to join us uh, at the bottom of the hour, and we're going to talk about the complexity of the homosexuality issue um, as it continues to um, really go beyond even the issue of homosexuality. What we're really now talking about uh, is complete and total licentiousness. I mean, that's really what we're talking about. But, but what does that mean at the same time you have a Trump White House where Kellyanne Conway was on TV yesterday bragging that he was the first guy to get elected being actively for gay marriage. And then he also wants to promote homosexuality across the globe, but then doesn't want us to fly flags, the rainbow flag at our embassies, but has, has also had a pretty good record on the issue of religious freedom. So how do you navigate all of that? We're going to talk to Bob Vanderplatz coming up at the bottom of the hour uh, about that topic. And then next hour, we just finished uh, the study of my new book, uh, most recent book, Truth Bombs. We're going to continue with a new book, except uh, it's an oldie but goodie. 
And if it, it, in fact, I could make the case that this book could very well be the city of God of the conservative movement. And I will explain, and it's one of the titular tomes in the history of modern conservatism. And we're going to look back at it uh, about a quarter century later. And we're going to begin that book study coming up in the next hour. You don't want to miss it. But let's get to the rest of your montage, Aaron. And the, um, the, the, the polling from PBS over the weekend on the abortion issue. I, I think, you know, we've talked before when I, about when we see polls about evolution, and you had a recent one from Pew on that as well. See, when I look at those numbers and I see despite complete and total domination of every sector of the culture, you still can't get more than a third of Americans to buy into pure natural selection as the origin of species. I mean, I, I, I mean, I, I see that as a rebuke of of the left. I mean, they they've had total demonstrative <laughs> control of every education apparatus in this country most of my lifetime, lifetime, Aaron, and all of yours, and yet even today, still. As much as we are becoming more and more desensitized, as much as we are becoming more and more secularized, Pew couldn't find more than a third of Americans believe in origin of species directly as a result of natural selection, which is the core tenet of of Darwinian evolution. I I mean, I I find that mind-boggling. And I'd say the same thing about the abortion issue. I mean, they have overtly had total control of all of the levers of power where this government, where this argument is wielded. And as we sit here today, 18% of the country, because you have to also understand here, here, and I, if you're new to our show, one of the things we've, we've pointed out over the years, because I follow this, you know, professionally for this show, but I've also worked professionally in this field. I've always told you that for the most part, with a few exceptions, And we've kept documented evidence of this cycle after cycle. For the most part, to this day, the horse race polling, meaning who are you going to vote for and and who's going to win, is pretty accurate. Steve, the polls were wrong in 2016. No, they weren't. Forecasters like me were wrong. The polls were telling us Hillary was a weak candidate. She barely could break free of the margin for error the entire time. And she almost won the popular vote nationwide by almost exactly what the real clear politics polling average had her ahead on election day. But when we looked at all the state polls, the state polls were in all the key battleground states were all within the margin for error. Trump was overperforming in all of those state polls. So what happened is a lot of forecasters like me looked at that, looked at that dynamic and said, well, this reminds us a lot of 2020 or 2012. When Obama was within the margin for error leads in a lot of these battleground states, but he had the organizational edge over Romney on the ground and pulled ahead on game day and won. That's what most of us, the vast majority of us who do this for a living. The polls weren't wrong in 2016. The forecasters were. The horse race polling in this country is still pretty good. I mean, the horse race polling last year said Democrats are going to win the House. And they, by about 40 seats, that's almost about what they got. I mean, it was almost right on the money. It's the, it's the issue polling you should not trust. Uh, it's the issue polling is the thing in which you catch the conscience of the king, if you get the reference, okay? The, the issue polling is all post push polling based. Let me give you an example. Because this is going to further highlight how terrible those results are for the Democrats. 
when when PBS Marist commissions a poll, you have to look at the way they frame the question. So several years ago, after the after the 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 twenty twelve cycle, when you had both Todd Aiken and Richard Murdoch, and Aiken made his own bet, good man, but I mean he he screwed the pooch. He he wasn't victimized. Richard Murdoch was. What was done to him was unfair. But you remember that that's where the whole rape incest and you can't be pro-life with any exceptions and yada, yada, yada. And Romney was so scared uh, that uh, the Romney campaign actually worked to defeat Todd Akin, opposed Richard Murdoch in Indiana uh, because they were more interested in their own election than, you know, Team GOP. So I was involved in some polling across the country on this issue. And... I can tell you still to this day, I have it memorized what the results were in my home state of Iowa. We looked at a series of battleground states. And and when we asked the question to the same sample early in the survey, do you believe a woman should be, and this is how, this is almost verbatim how we worded it. Do you believe a woman should be compelled to carry to term and deliver a child she didn't want that was conceived via rape and incest? That's almost exactly how we worded the question. And almost 80% of Iowans, like 74, 75%, said no. Later in the same survey, we asked the question, do you believe a child should be, an unborn child should be executed for the crimes of his father? And that's all that we said. The results were almost exactly in reverse. Almost exactly in reverse. I think it was like 69% said in other words, it's all in how you frame the question, like religious liberty. If you were to ask the question, do you believe religious conservatives should be able to deny service to somebody based on their sexuality? You're going to get an overwhelming response of no. Ask that exact same people. Do you think, uh, do you think, homos- do you think LGBTQ, because they won't use the word homosexual, do you think LGBTQ people should be able to demand Christians um, create items for them that affirm stuff that goes against their belief system. You're going to get the exact same numbers, but in reverse. So when you consider when P, when PBS and, and Marist is, is asking this question, they're not asking, do you think you ought to be able to execute a child whenever you want from the time of pregnancy, right up until delivery? You guys think that's the question they're asking? No. Hell to the no, they're not asking that. Here's the question. It's probably something benign, favorable to their viewpoint like this. Do you believe there ought to be any restrictions whatsoever on a woman's reproductive freedom? I promise you the question is being, is being, is being put like that. So you have to, when you look at that, those numbers, keep this in mind. This is why I made a point over the weekend when I noted the source of the polling. Those were the numbers they're reporting based back on their framing of the questions. You ever heard the old adage, a prosecutor worth his salt can get a ham sandwich indicted in front of a grand jury? I mean, if, if, you're, the, if you're the one, you're, 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 <laughs> I mean, you're setting the table. You're framing the debate. Your thumb is on the scale. Your man. thumb is on the scale. Exactly right. And you're reporting that only 18% of people are replying positively to you based off of the most favorable framing of your question that you could possibly create. That is bad. 
And it's also where the entire, outside of the state of Louisiana, apparently, it's also where the entire Democratic Party is nationwide. There's 24 announced candidates in that field, correct? Yep. All 24 of them running for president are holding a position on what has been the most hotly debated issue of this age, abortion. They're all holding a position that even with the most favorable sampling possible, the most favorable framing of the question possible, 18% of the country says, yeah, I'm with you on that. So when we say progressivism is a cult, your typical politician of any persuasion is going to look at numbers like that and freak out. And they're going to say there is no possible way we can win on an issue win with an issue that is one of the driving forces for one side of the electorate to go and vote. And 82% of them are against us. We can't win on that, guys. We got to come up with some nuance, some cave, some something that that I won't hunt. We can't win. That's not a winnable issue on any level. This this position cannot win. And instead, what you saw last week is the most accomplished, the most senior candidate running in the Democratic presidential field with all of the name ID advantages you could possibly muster had held a position on taxpayer-funded abortion since 1972 before either you and I were born. Talking to Todd there, for those of you in the podcast. And after a conversation with Simone Sanders, who used to work for Bernie Sanders, and Alyssa Milano decided to abandon that and take a public position that, according to their own most favorable polling, only 18% of the American people hold. Politicians don't do things like that unless they're driven by conviction. They just don't. They don't. Now, conviction isn't always a good word. Hale Bob had a lot of conviction. Jim Jones had a lot of conviction. Islamists, when Saladin handed them the simtars and said, smite them at the neck according to Hadith, had a lot of conviction. Conviction's not always good. Cults have convictions, usually to their own or others' deaths. You simply do not do something like that. Joe Biden is also not new at this. He has been winking and nodding and nuancing for five decades in public office. This isn't the first abortion debate he's probably ever entertained, guys. This is a cult. And what you saw yesterday is that guy right there on your screen, Mr. Biden, what you saw last week, is acknowledging I'm running to run a cult, and that's what the group think wants. That's not a winning issue. Now, vast majority of the country is not where we're at, where we want this thing overturned and banned regardless of exceptions. What about life of the mother? You'd never have to kill a kid. Just deliver the child. You don't ever have to do it, like ever. 
So, you know, I'm not, I'm not blind to that reality either. But running on, you can just keep killing him. That video Aaron had in the montage, I've not seen that yet. Did you, did you sense how cold that was? How inhuman that was? See, we're provoking this. It's all, this isn't new. They've always been like this. That's always what the genesis of this has been. Always. We just permitted them to hide behind their camouflage because our arguments largely sucked and were largely devised in order to curry favor with Team GOP and make a lot of people think because they had a magic R after the name, they were pro-life when they weren't. That's the flip side of this whole coin. I was hoping you were going to go there, too, because the noose isn't just around the Democrats' neck on this one. The GOP, that is just, this is the truth you cannot know no, from Romans that's 1. Right. Yes. And we have just made not bad arguments. I need you to go further than bad arguments because... We should have had, we should have forced them out of this hiding yes. 30 years ago. Yes. We had a sitting president writing. The only time a sitting president wrote eight and published a book while in office remains Ronald Reagan's Abortion in the Conscience of a Nation. I mean, that's when you had Operation Rescue at its zenith in the, in the mid to late 80s at the same time. We should have provoked them out of their silos here 30 years ago. We're having an argument on this issue 30 years later than we should have. A lot of people have died in that time. Yes, they have. Yeah, they have. A lot of innocent people. Yes, they have. But you know what? We can't change the past. So at least we're having it now. At least we're provoking them now. This is the moment to end this. They have lost the argument. That doesn't mean the argument is over, but they've lost. They're all taking, all the camouflage is off now. All of the talking points are gone. All of the lipstick on the pigs, gone. It's all gone. They're not even peeing on you and telling you it's raining anymore. They're telling you, how's the urine taste? We think we should just be able to do that to you. It's all out in the open now. So now is the time to end this. We've had an entire major political party in America that has viewed this as their civil sacrament all of my lifetime, has adopted a stance that even according to their own most favorable polling possible, 18% of the country holds. Go for the win. Your thoughts, gentlemen. You know, it's kind of interesting how many, what was the number of, uh, the percentage of counties that Hillary Clinton won in, in 2016? Slightly less than 15%. It was like 14.8 or something. No, I know that's not quite the same as the... Uh, pretty know, darn as, close, though. it is pretty darn close <laughs> yeah, to these is. numbers. And it, it makes you think, um, this, when you are up against something like this, where they can't stop, won't stop, and I keep using that phrase to, deter, to uh, describe the left... You have to realize that you are never going to win the issue, like actually win. They've lost the debate, but if you, you're never going to win the issue until you actually go full stop. No half measures. You know, that cannot be the end-all, be-all. The, the, the great scene in Breaking Bad when uh, Mike Armantrout confronts Walter White no half measures, always go, go full bore because you're going to end up, um, you know, having a bite in the butt uh, if you ever try to go for the just the half measures, just the half stop, you know, and don't go all the way. 
we have to realize that we have to go all the way because they certainly will not take any half measures. In that clip, that, that, that clip of, of the woman who says, yeah, yes, it is a form of violence. Uh, I'm not about to say that it's not a form of violence to kill a baby, uh, but it's a t- t- form of violence that needs to be protected. I mean, she admits that she wants to have radical wins on this issue, and that's why she, has, she says, you know what, yeah, yeah, we're killing the baby, but it's a form of violence that we need to have protected. Those are the type of people that pro-aborts are. You have to realize that and realize that the only winning is going full bore. You're, you're, you're hearing the real-life speeches uh, that are in all the movies where good and evil are clearly uh, delineated, uh, but the, the good is, side is in trouble and the bad guy is giving you their speech before mm-hmm. they off you. Mm-hmm. This is real life. Yes. And they're giving you the speech about what they believe and why, because of that, you deserve to die. Uh, they, these are the people. Look at that woman. I mean, she she looks like she you know could be a den mother. Just the way she's dressed. Nothing, nothing particularly that looks like she doesn't look like a Disney evil queen or something. But they will off you just the same. And history proves it time and again. What you're hearing really are Margaret Sanger's words. They've largely scrubbed from yep. history. But these are exact quotes of what she wrote at the at the genesis of this so-called movement uh, almost a hundred years ago. More in a moment. Hey, do you have itchy ears, ear pain, or that plugged up feeling? If that's you, you could be like scores of Americans who have that dreaded visit to the doctor's office awaiting you. In the near future. And you know why it's going to take so long? Because you put it off for so long and then there's going to be a wait and then there's going to be a hassle and a copay and a prescription and all that other stuff, right? What if I could just get rid of all that for you? You can DIY it in your own home, comfort and convenience of your own home, just like the, in the same treatment the pros give you and without a prescription as well. It's called Wax RX. It uses a physician-developed technology that safely and effectively removes earwax buildup and then soothes the ear with a pH condition formula. If you're like, hey, that's what they do when I go to the doctor's office. Yeah, well, now you can do it at your office, your home office, your home, your car, wherever it's convenient for you. All right. And now you can try it risk-free as well as without a prescription too. So try it today. Uh, usewaxrx.com is the website. That's usewaxrx.com and then use offer code radio at checkout and they'll throw you some free shipping. All right. So you get to save time and money on the front end and then you save some money with the free shipping on the back end as well when you use offer code radio at checkout for free shipping. When you go to the website, usewaxrx.com. That's usewaxrx.com. Bob Vanderplatz is here, our good friend from the Family Leader. Good to see you, brother. How are you? Doing very well. Good to see you. Thanks for having me back. You bet. So it is, um, it's Pride Month. I don't know if you've noticed or not. You know, we, we really don't believe in pride around here, but go ahead. It uh, is, it is it, I mean, the amount of corporate pandering that is going on right now for what, according to the CDC, is, is maximum about 2.5% of the, of the U.S. population. It, it is truly remarkable to it one to on one hand claim you are some oppressed uh, splinter group and then have every mainstream uh, influence center in the country trying Wait, to pander flag. and curry favor with you at the same time. Yeah. But, you know, that's what that's what victimology does. I mean, you can't see yourself beyond being a victim. One of the institutions that is kind of waving their flag 
waving it just maybe not as proudly, but is but is waving it gently is the Trump administration. And, you know, I think this is a fascinating area to have to navigate, particularly for uh, ministries like yours who represent Christians across the country, because we have we have on one hand what it is that God has clearly said is right and wrong which should be the driving force of what we get activated on, right? Mm-hmm. Then we have the reality of the culture in which we live, correct? And then we have the, the calling to use the freedoms and liberties we still have uh, in order to um, engage and defend all those things at the same time. When the lines aren't as clearly drawn in some areas as they used to be, or maybe they are when you look at it, on, the, on issues, the lines aren't as clearly drawn as they used to be. In terms of coalitions, they may be even more drawn than they've ever been. Hmm. All right? So on one hand, you have, you know, remember when he was a, a candidate in the primary, he, he, you know, grabbed rainbow flags. Uh, you were in Cleveland. Remember the convention speech he gave where he was shocked talking about the president uh, when Trump was shocked that, uh, hey, you Christians really don't want to stone gays. Remember, you were, mm-hmm. you were sitting there when, when, he, when he said that from there. the podium. Um, on the other hand, he has a really good record on defending religious liberty. These things. So I'm just going to stipulate what are facts. Okay. He's also t- said he wants his administration to promote homosexuality across the globe. Um, yesterday, his his top senior advisor, woman you and I have known for a long time, Kellyanne Conway, was on national TV touting Trump as the first guy to ever get elected by being affirmatively in favor of gay marriage, right? So we put all these things together. Aaron showed some video in the montage of this movement now devolving to the sexualization of children. Um, Vox running with the, you know, these boys are the future of uh, future drag queens. You had the, the, the underage drag queen that was featured on Good Morning America at Christmas time. One of the videos that was in Aaron's montage is a boy that looks even younger than that underage drag queen, essentially twerking um, at a pride conference with almost nothing on, but skimpy shorts as a bunch of adults around him clearly are cheering him on like he's some kind of a stripper. So when we throw all these things together, how do we, how do we navigate this? And, and in fact, I'm going to stop right there because I want to hear your answer before I go any further. How do we navigate all these things? How do you navigate them? Well, my guess is if this is a Facebook post, you'd have to say it's complicated. Mm-hmm. Or it's very simple. Uh, meaning very simple is that, no, we have parameters for sexuality. That's about not only being a healthy society, but it's what's best for an individual as well. And that's where we say, you know, God created them male and female. And God designed sex for within the parameters of marriage. And marriage is designed for one man and one woman. And we believe all that to be true. And we believe we'd be healthier today as a society and as a culture if we adhered to those simple parameters. But obviously, because we live in a fallen world, nothing's ever quite that simple. And that's why in the Christian faith, we all bring it back to the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, that he loved you so much that he would die for your sins. And therefore, if you believe that, then that becomes everything, not just something. Mm-hmm. And then that drives all of your faith. But I think, you know, when I, when I saw the, the tweet from President Trump a week ago in full celebration of of Pride Month being the June. day before they were supposed to do uh, the Franklin Grand Prayer event, the, the, for him, the right? prayer, for, the prayer for the president. Uh, when I saw Kellyanne's uh, comments yesterday about he was the first affirming gay marriage president 
running for president. Now, I would argue that a little bit because if you recall in 2013, we gave him the first stage in the state of Iowa at our leadership summit. And at our leadership summit, he went through a litany of things to basically check off the conservative boxes. And he said, marriage, of course, is between one man and one woman. Now, that was 2013. He really didn't start running until 2015. So he could say he affirmed gay marriage at that time. And for me, it's one thing to say, hey, listen, uh, I'm against the persecution of those who identify as LGBTQ, whatever it is, that that's not the right way to approach it. But I still want to defend religious liberty. I still want to defend the institution of marriage. That's one route. But to me, there's a, dr- a great dichotomy, Steve, when you say, listen, I'm affirming all of this stuff while I'm affirming relig- religious liberty because it seems to be this LGBTQ movement is the greatest threat to religious liberty that we face today. So to me, that's when I try to take all this in. We've gone away from a simple standard of male and female and sexual relationship designed for in the institution of marriage to basically an uh, 11-year-old being transgender and the sponsor of Converse tennis shoes. I, th- I wonder, do you see parallels between where we are and what's happening culturally and politically in the country on this issue? Do you think it's a fair parallel to say we're, we're kind of where we are on this issue where the life issue was post, immediate post Roe v. Wade? Where the, the outside of the the people that were pre-committed to the issue prior to its adjudication at the Supreme Court, most Americans had really not been confronted or had to wrestle with the ultimate ramifications of where this issue was going to take us. Mm-hmm. Plenty of Republicans at the same time that the pro-life movement was taking over the Republican Party, there were still scores of Republicans that would for more than a decade plus. Would, would officially, now still most of them are pro-choice, but they will lie to you. I mean, well into the 90s, you still had Republicans who could get elected being officially, openly pro-choice, while, while the other side of the cultural equation was still working its way out. Do you think, do you think that's a fair parallel? I think it's a very fair par- parallel. Okay. Uh, because on the life issue, there's no doubt, post-Roe v. Wade, yes. But I even think you know, on, on the marriage issue or the LGBT issue, and you'll remember this because you lived this with me, is the one question we got all the time in defending the institution of marriage? How would gay Im- how would gay marriage impact you? Mm-hmm. And I always would say it's not going to impact my marriage with me and Darla. And so that's not the question. It's that where do we go from there? And basically, we kind of pulled the curtain back about all the things that could happen that would be a threat to religious And liberty. they're all coming true They're all as coming, speak. and more. Because we didn't say you won't even know what bathroom I wasn't warning about child drag queens. I, no, I, I, I never did that show. All, the, so, all the times we, we debated and discussed this issue. I don't, Todd, do you remember ever me warning uh, Slippery Slope about child drag queens were around the corner? I don't remember ever thinking we were going to get there, let alone in like 10 minutes. No. No. And now you get to the point, frankly, and I've had this conversation. Is it going to be that much further down the line where you believe in marriage between one man and one woman and you believe homosexuality is a sin? And if you actually believe that because God's word teaches that and because your Christian faith, you believe that, does that make you unfit to be a parent? Well, this is the reason I asked you if you think it's, there's a parallel, because I do think there is at least some, I agree with you, there's at least somewhat of a parallel. 
then, you know, one of the things we talked about in the last segment is more and more we're watching the other side come out and say the things we said for 50 years that, that abortion was really about. Mm-hmm. And, and now they're opening their mouths and, and, and Margaret Sanger and Frederick Nietzsche's talking points are coming out when they tried to scrub all that and hide from it, you know, for, for most of our lives. It is murder. It is violent. Yeah, we and now it. they want to own it. Yeah. yeah now, they, now they want credit for the body count. And it is about cleansing. Yes. Yeah, it is. It's yeah. all about all this and stuff. So, but we took decades to get to this point. And the original accommodation was I could be pro-life with exceptions. You could hold your pro-life view, but not impose your pro-life views on other people, right? Yeah. All the arguments we're having right now on the issue of redefining gender, sexuality, all those fundamental issues too. And it was that argument was always going to come down to is the other side willing to acknowledge those accommodations? Or are they going to be boot to the throat, fire up the Metallica, kill them all? That's what we're in this for, right? And it took a while, but now we're learning they're for kill them all. I don't know that we're going to be permitted to discuss whether these accommodations on the sexuality issue are possible. Whether the world that Trump and I think most Americans want to inhabit a world where we just let people do with other consenting adults whatever they want. Live as, live as, you as want long to live. as you don't impose your views on other right. people. I don't know that because the origin of this movement has been open from the very beginning that it's been about it's been about redefining much of existence itself. And it's it's sort of the militarized arm of the progressive movement is the rainbow jihad. Now that we're there and they believe they have the advantage, I don't, I don't know that we're ever going to find out I'm, that there's the equivalent of pro-life with exceptions to I'm pro-gay with exceptions. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. That except for a few people that get on Fox who are openly gay but believe in religion, except for that world, I don't know. I, we're, I think, and I, think, I think, the, think that's a fantasy world. I think the other side of the argument is already at the place the abortion movement took 50 years to get to, to be honest. I think they're already at that place, and I don't see the crowd outside of Lot's house simmering down and fi- and giving you some exceptions of accommodation. Do you? No, it's no longer going to be love your neighbors yourself. I don't believe uh, a person should be persecuted, but it's now going to be no, 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 no. You can't just say, "Okay, I'm okay with gay marriage. I'm okay with it." You're going to have to affirm it. You're going to have to celebrate it. Mm-hmm. That is that's where we're heading today. And that's what you're pointing out. And that's the danger in it. Is there any force, human force, any human political calculation that could cause some moderation to seep into that movement now that it believes it has the advantage? Do you believe? I think the the, the way you do that is when you demonstrate and you show the threat it is to religious liberty. Religious liberty, not just meaning how do you worship inside your four walls yesterday on Sunday or on Saturday night. It's can you now live out your faith in your residential place, in your marketplace, in any place, can you live out that faith? You understand that why I'm me, asking you these questions? Because sure. I think what our audience, these are conversations you and I have had off and on, the, on and off the air for a decade. But for people in our audience, and a lot of them that are probably wrestling with this new moral order, this is going to really determine whether the conversation we're ha- having right now this is going to determine whether mutual accommodation is still possible or this is going to remain an all or nothing issue. And that's why a big conversation, I think, with President Trump, as you and I are taking a look at the 2020 race and seeing how it's unfolding and, and basically what's going to be at stake, the, basically the, pres, the preservation of Western civilization to some degree, about that's going to be at stake. But for him to understand, it's not just about gay marriage. 
It's about a threat to religious liberty. So you stand for religious liberty, and we applaud you for that. As a matter of fact, you've had a lot of good policies on this deal with the military and other things. But when all of a sudden it gets to be a threat to religious liberty, that's a big issue uh, for this country and for the citizens that, that live in it. I mean, it, can you think of a, of a culture that has affirmed the redefinition of marriage anywhere on planet Earth? that didn't immediately then turn around and spark a new battle in its own ranks over the matters of conscience rights and religious liberty. Can you think of one anywhere in the world? And so if he's going to go out there and promote this um, beyond, hey, Saudi Arabia, stop throwing gays off of buildings, which obviously we would agree, stop doing that. But if he's going to promote it beyond that, like instead of, you know, passively saying, um, Stop persecuting sect, sex and minorities within your culture or executing people yeah. to actively saying this is good and you should now affirm it because we don't really know what is they haven't defined for us what's promoting this mean. OK, but affirming this means he's, I, don't, I don't know how you could possibly affirm it in a way that then doesn't create the ripple effect on religious and, liberty. And, and on the Steve, other side. this is right in his own circle because it wasn't that long ago where Karen Pence was just ridiculed exactly. like crazy. He's had multiple nominees. Rush vote. Uh, uh, the, the judge um, Amy, uh, who am I thinking of? Barrett. Barrett. Amy Coney Barrett, Barrett, who were who literally his own. Yeah. He's had his own nominees faced yeah. with this. But yeah. but he's seen what Karen Pence had to put up with just by going back in to teach by mm-hmm. saying she shouldn't be allowed to teach. Mm-hmm. So this isn't some just vague concept. This is right there. You can't be allowed to teach kids because you believe marriage between a man and a woman, and she would also believe from her Christian faith. Faith, that homosexuality is a sin. So therefore, you can no longer teach. He saw Bernie Sanders interview, I forget the guy in a Senate hearing, but basically Russ saying- Vogt. It was Russ Vogt. Yeah. Because of your Christian faith- He was running for the assistant director yeah. of OMB. Yep. And because of your Christian faith, you can no longer serve in government. We saw that right here in Iowa with Robert mm-hmm. Kramer, mm-hmm. who got appointed to the board of trustees for the colleges, and they went nuts because of his belief in marriage, his belief in God's design for sexuality- you can't serve on the board of trustees if you believe that. Well, it's, it's going to be fascinating to watch this play out because I, I think clearly he believes um, that you can art of the deal this. And I, I don't think you can art of the deal a cult. So I don't think so. I, I, I mean, I, I, and by the way, I don't think everybody that has found themselves immersed in this sin is in a cult. I'm talking the political mobilization of mm-hmm. it is a cult. Um, I think there's all kinds of people that are same-sex attracted that if you just let the, left them alone, they'd leave you alone. But I, but the yep. political mobilization of this is in, is absolutely a weapon. Yep. And I don't know that you're going to be able to put a muzzle on it. Yeah. And Donna Redwing, and you, we talked about that a long time before, but one of the comments she would make when we would do our, our forums, Donna would say, even though I would disagree with Bob on what he says about the institution of marriage, what he what he says about God's design for sexuality, she goes, I would fight to my last breath to let him have the opportunity to say it because she believed in freedom of speech. That's not where we're at today. Anymore. No, it's not. That is not where we are at. Free speech is Frankly, it's a wonder, one-way street. I wonder if she had lived, if they would have uh, kicked her out of well, the There's no doubt they, they would have their, an issue with that. One of their, one of their brigadier yeah. generals. And even about having a civil conversation with me on the design of marriage mm-hmm. and God's design for sexuality, that would be an issue as well. 
Bob, good stuff as always, man. Thanks for joining us Thank today. you, guys. Hey, if you're one of millions of Americans right now that uh, are missing work, are deciding, I just got to live with this chronic pain that comes from inflammation, might I suggest that relief might be just a click away. It's a fantastic product. Many of us at The Blaze have had outstanding results with called Relief Factor. I would count myself among them. It's, ha- it's made a huge difference in my workout recovery, and I'm just, I'm just getting older. All right, and here's the, here's the best thing about Relief Factor. The top two lines of talking points, all right? Physician created and 100% drug free. And so what that tells you, if you connect the dots there, is is folks who can prescribe drugs, doctors, realizing that uh, all these drugs do is treat the symptoms. We want to provide real relief, real healing from inflammation in the body. We want to kick in those uh, those uh, inhibitors that uh, your creator, Mother Nature, put in the body to push back against inflammation. And they do that with the four key natural ingredients that make up the vast majority and really everything that Relief Factor is about. Now you can try it for just a dollar a day for three weeks. It's called the three-week starter kit for 20 bucks they make it available to people to see hey does this help your body provide that relief and find that relief and if it does so many folks end up sticking around and using it on a regular basis if you want to try it what have you got to lose except maybe hopefully finally the pain a dollar a day three weeks for the 20 dollar kickstart or quick start at relieffactor.com again that's relieffactor.com we'll come back i'm going to let todd and aaron Uh, share their thoughts in the conversation that Bob and I just had. And then we're going to begin a brand new book study you don't want to miss right here on The Blaze. Stay tuned. And we're back with hour number two, live and on demand on The Blaze. I'm Steve Dace. Todd Erz and Aaron McIntyre are here with me as well. Let us know what you think about what we think. Steve at stevedace.com is how you can email us. You can like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at Steve Dace Show. For those of you listening today via Blaze Radio or the podcast, last name is D-E-A-C-E. By the way, if you are listening to us today via the podcast, if you wouldn't mind leaving us a five-star review, we would greatly appreciate that. If you like us, of course. If you don't, don't lie. But if you do, we would appreciate that. Thousands of you have done this for us on the podcast platform of your choice already. Thank you so much. The more of you that do this for us, the more likely we are to find more people like you. And then uh, more likely we are to keep, uh, continue to keep doing this. So thank you very much. Um, we're going to have something we've been looking forward to around here coming up here in just a few minutes. But first, uh, do you struggle to hit that 5 p.m. Uh, finish line at your job? Are you one of scores of Americans that are buying all these energy drinks, supplements, everything else? Uh, you know, there is a more natural way to do this, and that's where the top team of physicians at Brickhouse Nutrition comes in. They were looking to deal with this, uh, this huge increasing need for the average American lifestyle, uh, low energy. And they thought, hey, is there a way to do this that's healthier, better? Uh, than putting a bunch of chemicals in your body that you couldn't possibly pronounce, even if you tried. And that's where they came up with from dusk or from dawn to dusk. I almost did it again, Aaron. From dawn to dusk. All right. Now, here's the beauty of this it's not just improved energy, but focus and mood as well, because it stimulates the heart and the brain, sometimes for up to 10 hours. And there's no jitters, no afternoon crash, and even no calories nor any sugar as well, all right? So if you want to give this uh, a try from dawn to dusk, here's what you need to do. Use my name, Steve, as a promo code and then go to the website, brickhousesteve.com. 
That's Brickhouse Steve, all one word. BrickhouseSteve.com. Use my name, Steve, as a promo code when you do. They'll give you 15% off of your first order of From Dawn to Dusk at BrickhouseSteve.com. So, gentlemen, your thoughts on the conversation we just had with Bob Vanderplotz. One, that, that we're kind of, you know, living through a parallel of what the post-Roe v. Wade world was like, but without social media and everything else. And so you didn't have that in 1973 and 74 and 75. So when Maud had an abortion, that was a big story, okay? So you didn't see the freak show on social media. You, did, you didn't see your, your family members, you know, yeah, Roe v. Wade is great. You know, you, you did, we didn't know a lot about that stuff. There wasn't the intensity level immediately thereafter. But the, the seeking of mutual accommodation, and is it possible? And for a long time, it seemed like it was. And now clearly, now that the other side is saying, well, then you, you give birth to the kid, you swaddle it, then you kill it if the mom doesn't want it. Clearly there's not, right? I don't know that we're ever going to go through this sifting and searching for a mutual accommodation on this issue, this issue because of the cultural changes, because of the, the intensity level that is associated with social media and cable news now, that you're, we're already so out in the open of where everybody wants to take this issue that are we going to be able to create I'm pro-gay marriage with exceptions, if you know the analogy I'm trying to draw. What do you think, Todd? Well, this goes to what you said about I don't think you can negotiate with a cult. And I know you believe uh, you can't, but back in the 70s, I, I, think, I think you could fool yourself uh, that you could. Um, and be, you didn't know that, you didn't see all the spe- cultic behavior, so you didn't even know that that's really what it was. Or even right? if it was, it, it, it's fringe, it's over right. there. I, Margaret I, Sanger's I, been dead for more, for more than 10 years, don't remember her anyway. It, it's, it, it, we're getting perhaps better than ever before telling ourselves lies, but it, it, it's just harder based on the objective data to b- before this, of what people are saying they're going to do to us to ignore that. You're dealing, a cult is by definition um, an aggressive view of reality now that everybody ultimately believes in truth either the people who as we've documented on this show i don't believe in truth well you just said some that you did mm-hmm. that, with that statement but that's that's a lazy belief in truth right there cults by definition it's a very very aggressive view of truth and i had a mini epiphany in thinking about this you you, you can't it, it it won't just sit over there by definition it means to overcome you like a horde of locusts and i got to thinking the irony of all this is that because we're, we're talking about Donald Trump, the, the, the guy who wrote uh, The Art of the Deal. He, there is no art of the dealing this, as you said. That's impossible. But you know who else ultimately believes in his own version of The Art of the Deal? Uh, it's, it's, the, the, it's the David French conversation we have. He keeps believing that against this raw evil, you can, there's triangulation, that, that, that there is a civil process to it. No. No, no. I find that fascinating that at the end of the day, the the, the guy, David French, is obsessed with Donald Trump, but they ultimately believe a fallacy in dealing with the darkness that you're talking about and that now here is put on fast forward. We're not waiting for 30 years. We are dealing with the fact that we have children, Steve, right now. Yours is just entering adulthood. I have a 15-year-old, so not that far before. Before they have their own children— we can't even begin to guess right now what will be lost mm-hmm. in terms of liberty in that time. That's how aggressive this cancer is, and which is why I always say progressive is, in fact, cancer. Well, you and I both are adherents of just war theory. 
Correct. And in the in the case of David French, you've had somebody who has served his country in a war. Yes. And he knows war is hell. Yes. And and I do think we use war talk and all those things way too cavalierly. We have kind of forgotten really when we've been permitted in a post 9-11 world to continue to shop at walmart while mall copying afghanistan into perpetuity we have forgotten you know people come home from body bags Mm -hmm. um you know this is uh this is uh it's never a good thing sometimes it's a just thing Mm -hmm. but it's never it's never an objectively good thing and so therefore you have to make sure it's your last possible resort i so in the in the past, I have sided with the argument that before we go ahead and acknowledge there's a civil war, let's at least make sure that we're having one because those are ugly. Mm-hmm. Uh, still, um, more, more Americans died at the heaviest of the fighting the day of Antietam, I think, than in any other day or conflict in American history. It's either Antietam or Gettysburg, one of those two. I think you're right. I think it's Antietam. So these aren't these aren't th- these aren't trivial things. They're they're not even serious. They're even beyond serious in the normal political partisan importance shows like ours or content like what we do here at the Blaze would 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 place you know a priority on. These are existential winner yes. go homes. Yes, are the, this is a steel cage match. Two men enter, only one man's leaving. All right, and so if only one man's leaving, what's that mean about the guy who's not walking out of there? Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So I'm I, I to me I've always been one. Let's only go down this road if we're sure. There are no other alternatives, okay? And the one of the f- ways to be sure is when that cult is promising it to you. That this is, And, you know, this is one of the reasons why I think I've brought it up four times in the last week. I am so struck by what, how quickly Joe Biden was turned around. Yeah. I, to, you have to understand, he has held these, you know, mutually garbage positions. We dissected last week how they're not real. But he has been he has gotten away with holding these mutual garbage positions on the most divisive debate of this age for five decades, gotten away with it. And in a span of one week, he was completely turned yeah. around and, and deconstructed and curb stomped. That's a bad sign. Where are where are the people that you tell me where and, and, and I don't don't give me Dave Rubin or Chad Felix Green. OK. I like a lot of their work. I want people who are not friendly to conservatives or, or maybe politically conservative in other areas beyond sexuality. All right. Show me who are, where, where's Andrew Sullivan? Is he, is he upset this week about child drag queens and the sexualization of, and kids twerking for gay men at pride parades like Aaron had in this video? See, that's what tells you whether it's a cult or not. Okay, it's not the people who otherwise agree with your overall political view, but have a couple of instances of behaviors that they approve of or they want to. No, if that was true, David French would be more on the ball. Yes. What tells you whether or not there's going to be any mutual accommodation possible. Are you going to be able to be pro gay marriage with exceptions? Like I use that analogy, What's going to tell you that is are the people that are pushing this the most aggressively. Are they despondent and disgusted by the behavior there that we have seen in recent times? Where are they on taking pro- opportunities away from women in youth sporting events? Nowhere. Where are they on the degrading sexualization of our children? Nowhere to either nowhere to either that or applauding it and and, and putting it on Good Morning America and as Bob mentioned, you know, the the spokesperson for Converse All-Stars. That's a really bad sign. Because what it shows you is that unless you really, if, unless you're a Richard Grinnell, who's the current ambassador to Germany, 
And from everything I can see, watching him online, seems to be doing a pretty good job as the ambassador of Germany. Lines up with a lot of causes and issues that we agree with. He also happens to be married to a dude. Okay, so unless you're that unicorn, unless you're Chad Felix Green, and if you're not following him on Twitter, you should. He does about the best job of deconstructing the gender fallacies of anybody online, and he's in a gay marriage. So unless you're Dave Rubin, Chad Felix Green, Richard Grinnell, give me seven or eight other names, and and names for people that wouldn't that didn't vote for Trump, and or wouldn't consider voting for him in 2020. Can you name any? There aren't any. There aren't any. There's, there's not a single person at MSNBC. There's not a single person at Huffington Post. N- nowhere. And so what that tells you is that this is part of a broader coalition. And whenever things get become b- built into coalitions, conscience is lost. You're not permitted to be the contrarian. All right. This is, this is we've pointed out, this is John Miller, who's our White House correspondent here at The Blaze, who's black. He's not really black to these people because he doesn't vote their way. And who tells him that? Often it's, it's white leftists. White leftists tell him, he was bl- who's been black all his life, you're not really black because you're not part of our coalition. Chad Felix Green and Dave Rubin and Richard Grinnell, you're not really gay because you're not. A p- it doesn't matter how yep. much gay sex you've had. You're not gay because you're not in our coalition. And so if this is now about a, a broader coalition, there will be no accommodation for conscience because either you will sign on to all of the group think or you will be persecuted as if you've signed on to none of it to that end you haven't mentioned it yet but look what that uh horde uh, uh did to that what a 12 year old girl who came to right. a council meeting they she, she's not allowed i mean that's a that's a child up there making a statement she she was treated as if she was subhuman i mean you you don't even have the capacity disagree as vehemently as you want to to not try to scare the hell out of that person mm-hmm. because of the your cult status. What are your thoughts on this conversation, Aaron? Well, Bob mentioned uh, in passing how long is it until parents are considered not fit to be parents because they just believe in a traditional view of sexuality, gender, and marriage. Well, I would ask you know the the parents who are trying to to work with Bethany Christian Services in Michigan right now, thanks to that Attorney General mm-hmm. you know Dana Nessel, uh, mm-hmm. I, I would ask them that question because that's happening right now in Canada, who uh, believe it or not is further down the rabbit hole in a lot of ways, progressivism wise, than we are. That, to my knowledge, that's basically that that's pretty normal. Uh, that type of behavior, if you yep. uh, in in that in that country as well. So so there's that. We're we're already facing that. That side where if you're a parent and you don't believe in uh, letting your kids, you know, dress in drag and twerk all they want at a gay pride parade, we're fast. Guys, this is not hyperbolic. We are fast heading down the road that if you don't believe like that little kid in that video in the montage, if you're a parent and you don't believe that you should let your kid do that. Uh, then you're a bad parent and you're not fit to be a parent because you're not letting them explore their sexuality. I don't think that's hyper. Do you guys think that's hyperbolic? No, I don't think that's I hyperbolic don't. at I don't. all. We are fast heading down that road as well. Another part of this is just just to, it, just another illustration of how much this is like a horde of locusts. And again, the phrase can't stop, won't stop, which coincidentally is part of a, uh, the lyrics of a Miley Cyrus song. Can't stop, won't stop. Jack Phillips masterpiece cake shop in colorado i don't know if you guys saw this he's facing his third lawsuit now Ugh, mm-hmm. i did not see that yes facing his third lawsuit he, he now remains apparently the only because, baker in the entire state of colorado yes uh because he refused to bake a cake celebrating a gender transition from uh, i think it was a guy to a woman he's trying to dress feel feel pretty now 
This is his third. He, the, the first case went all the way to the Supreme Court. The second case was tossed out. This is now the third case. This is only going to stop when Jack Phillips of the world, and, and guys, I'm not saying this as a cast aspersions against Jack Phillips, because that guy has been through hell and back again, just trying to bake cakes. This is only going to stop when Jack Phillips forces some police officer in Colorado say, yeah, I'm defying this court order. Mm-hmm. You, can, you can arrest me. This is only going to stop with that. Because it's at that point that the victimhood, victimhood is more, victimhood is, and I'm not talking about victimology, victimhood is a much, the exchange rate between dollars and victimhood is just bananas. I mean, it's more valuable than gold in this culture. Victimhood is the only way. Turning that victimhood back against it, uh, back against the left and back, back against the rainbow jihad is the only way that it's going to stop. One final thing on this, since you invoked the name of David French. Um, you know, if, if you're writing, I want him fired from national. Seriously. Yeah. I mean, stop. That's so dumb. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, come on. Again, movements need contrarians. They need to listen to their contrarians. Doesn't mean their contrarians are always right. But if you can't argue against the contrarians against your own movement, you know, I go back, I've told this story before. When I first got involved in this, after getting saved, I'd been involved in conservative activism, college Republicans, high school, GOP stuff, all my life. And then I get saved. And what I found was, now I'm growing more and more conservative and less and less Republican. But yet I also feel uh, more compelled to be active than I even did when I was politically active, exclusively. And a, a Christian friend of mine who has more of a laissez-faire view of politics sent me a, a sermon by John MacArthur. 50 Reasons, I think it was, it was called. 50 Reasons can, Christians Shouldn't Actively Be Involved in Politics. And I didn't want to listen to it. I didn't want to listen to it. I didn't want to listen to it. And then I started doing these interviews with the Richard Lands of the world and Tom Minories of the world, the next generation, the, the old generation of Christian leaders who were just face planting at, at just nominal cross examination and getting almost as defensive with me as, that, as, the, as the adults were to that 12 year old girl in the Raleigh City Council. Okay. Um, and I'm like, you know what? If I don't, that thing set on the ledge in my man cave in front of my, uh, on my entertainment center for months. And I thought, you know, if I don't listen to this, I'm going to end up like exactly like the guys I'm questioning now. I mean, if I can't argue, if I can't argue against John MacArthur's reasons for why I'm doing what I'm doing, what are the odds I'm going to beat the other side of the argument who doesn't agree with me on anything, right? Mm-hmm. So over the next couple of nights, I listened to the whole thing. And what I found was I could, I could come up, doesn't mean I was right, but I thought I could legitimately argue like 47 of his 50 from another vantage point. But there were, there were two or three sticklers, man, that really I just, cut me deep, Shrek. But you know what those two or three things did? Is they caused me to be, uh, they stopped me from becoming a sellout. They caused me to do the things that eventually led to me being where I'm at right now in my career. I, I, in other words, iron sharpened iron made me better at what I'm doing. So, you know, my issue with French is not waiting until the last moment before we agree in a civil war. I totally agree with that. My issue is when, when the other side sounds their horn and declares it on you. Yes. And then pretending like they didn't do that, that didn't happen. That's the issue to me. The issue is not... Guys, do you understand if we go here culturally, there's, this is a point of no return. Do we, are we sure 
I don't think there's anything wrong that's prudent to have that conversation. We are the wealthiest, most enlightened country in the world. We still, for all of our myriads of problems, are probably, other than I don't consider the church an an earthly institution. So among earthly institutions, we're the best thing going on this planet east of Eden right now, for all of our myriads of problems. I don't think it's bad at all to be adults and say, you know, even though this would get us some clicks, even though this might get me on Fox tonight, should we let should we just make sure before we blow this whole thing up where the average American makes forty seven thousand dollars a year? That puts that means the average American is in the top ten percent of wealth on planet Earth. That's the average American. Only the top ten percent of people in this world make 47,000 the equivalent of 47,000 US dollars a year or more. So before we blow that up, I think it's okay to ask, are we sure it's the, 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 it's worth the collateral of damage? Course. And I think when a guy who has served his country in a uniform and faced bullets like Mr. French has, and he's the one saying those things to us, I think we probably ought to listen to him. Think that's fair too? It's more than fair. But then when the other side says, we're going there. In fact, we've been there we just were shocked you guys waited all this time mm-hmm. to, to, to hear us and, hear, and, 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 and follow suit. Now I feel as if, well, I would prefer not to go there. But how do I then not go there if you are already there and you're firing now at me? That's the issue. It's not that he wants to make sure and that, that before we, you know, we, and, and it's especially in the era of Trumpian, everything's hyperbolic. Uh, he, he, I mean, once a week he tweets your most favorite and greatest president ever. All right, I get why there's a why there's a resistance to all the the fearless leader and apocalyptic language, and I think that's prudent. Yeah. But when the other side says, "Yeah, we're here," and uh, yeah. we're firing before we see the whites of your eyes. In fact, the whites of your eyes are racist, so we're just firing right now. I, I don't know. Then how do I ignore that now? I don't think that I can. We're back in the Civil War analogy uh, with. Uh uh, Lincoln finally needing McClellan and everybody that came uh, after him. They, they were they were triangulating. They were doing the art of the deal back then. Lincoln needed to find the guy. He fights. He did. Things changed. It's it's not it it it's not more complicated that in the in terms of the reality of fighting an enemy who promises to end you. And I don't think, by the way, and I'm okay if if this needs to be more strategic and targeted. Maybe the answer is, you know what? I think everybody who wants to vote Democrat or who identifies as Democrat needs to be forced to come to grips with what's going on in their own party. And if you want to say that's the first stage, is you force them to acknowledge, will you do something about this? Will you say no to this? Will you push back to it? Because they're prob- that group of people is probably the last remaining buffer between the end game. And I talked about this on Friday. We're, we are in their endgame. What the leftist endgame has always been was to erode all of the institutions that are here to defend us from the likes of them so that we don't have civil wars and Molotov cocktails and, and gunshots going off in the streets. They, their their endgame is to erode all those institutions that they're no longer a buffer between us and them so that they can then impose their will directly on us. We are in their endgame. Now, we're not in the endgame. That's a key distinction. But we are in their endgame. Their endgame was those institutions are all gone. Press, academia, everything. Everything, you, your courts, everything, all this bureaucracy, all this infrastructure that was created to save, us, save you from us, 
to defend you from us, we own it all. Or we've or we have tucked its tail firmly between its legs. It's it's weighed, measured, and found wanting. So now it's just you, one on one with us. What are you gonna do? We're there now. I don't think there's any question we're there now. Yeah. Now the end game, what does the end game look like? The end game looks like this. In the Civil War, in the lead up to the Civil War, there were a group of people who were against Northern aggression, but were anti-slavery. And I want to th- say they were called, were they called Copperheads? Is that yeah. what they were called? Yeah. Okay. How many Copperheads are left in the Democratic Party? Meaning, you can even have all of the crazy views about, you know, uh, Medicare for all and the typical liberal talking points. But do you really believe that the goal of your party should be the imposition of your will to power on everyone that disagrees with you with no restraint, no matter what it is. So that I can't say it's a bad idea for an underage pubescent boy. In fact, we put men in prison. That's called pedophilia. Underage pubescent boys twerking with Daisy Dukes on or skin tight shorts on for men is bad. If there aren't any copperheads left to say, listen, man, I, I think government ought to do for those who can't do for themselves. I believe healthcare is a right. You know, I think we descended from monkeys. You know what I'm saying? But I think we shouldn't do that to our kids if those people don't exist and or they do, but they remain silent. Then we that that's the, that is the end game. Because it means there is nothing, nothing to push back on Aaron's horde of locusts other than a direct confrontation. I hope we do not get there. But I also won't lie to myself if we do. See, that's what the real argument is about. The David French argument does isn't, and this is what it's devolved to. I want you to justify my never Trumpism from three years ago. Yep. And I want you to justify I voted for Trump because it was the United Flight 93 election three years ago. It's a proxy for that same tired argument that I've retired permanently from. That doesn't mean, though, that there's not a legit, some legitimate criticism here. Because what I see with him is I see a guy who refuses to acknowledge that his enemy has declared war. And you wait until too long, and you won't acknowledge it until you've used uh, the Professor Fudge uh, or the Cornelius Fudge analogy with him yep. in the past, right? Yeah. You, you won't acknowledge it until there's no recourse left except a, the Battle of Hogwarts hand to hand. Because you let it go and let it go and let it go and let it go because you were afraid of what the cost would be of admitting this was true. And then all that's left is all you're, you're outflanked now. And that's the real argument. Unfortunately, most of what I've seen with the David French, so Rob, I don't know the guy's name, argument has devolved into a proxy fight of Trump. Real Estate Agents I Trust was started a few years ago because there was so much frustration with Glenn Beck and some of his friends. With real estate agents who talked a good game but then didn't deliver the desired results when needed the most. So they were looking for something that would, uh, that would vet and refer agents not to help agents find clients, but to find agents worthy of having us as clients. 
All right. And and really there if if you're if you're looking for why are these agents recommended at Real Estate Agents I Trust, could they check three boxes, okay? Uh, number 1, they've got a proven track record of being successful in the real estate market. That's pretty basic. Number two, though, is they understand that while data matters, you got to not spare the details. There's always outliers in any algorithm. How do you explain those outliers? Because it could make a big impact on, on your market value or the price of the home that you wish to buy. And then thirdly, can you get along with this person? Is there a rapport there? It's a very personal process. You have to make high demands on one another to get through it. If there's not a rapport there, it becomes even more stressful than it already is. So if you are looking for an agent, the right one that you can trust, you're looking for an agent that checks all three of those boxes and here's where you're going to find them. Go to the website, realestateagentsitrust.com. That's realestateagentsitrust.com. And now it begins. So we've done book studies on the show before. Uh, we've done them with all of the books I've written when it when they came out. Uh, we've done them with other people's books. I've I've done, for example... Uh, the 5,000 year leap. Um, I've done that book two different times. I did it once on a local, when I was a local guy, and then we did it here on the national show a few years ago. All right. So, um, we were looking at, we, uh, is there another book out there that we could do? And we debated this, uh, and, and had suggestions going back and forth among the three of us for a few weeks. And then we had an epiphany. What if we, instead of looking at the present or looking ahead, what if we went back again to the past like we did with the 5,000-year leap? And we settled on a book that could very well be the city of God of the conservative movement. Here's what I mean by that. In the first millennia plus of the Christian church, other than directly inspired epistles and writings of the apostles, other than directly inspired written apostolic writings, the book that really, in a, in a post-Roman world now where Rome is anywhere from accepting to approving of Christianity, so the, which means it's a new world now. We're in a new world now. Now, the truth hasn't changed, but the world in which we are called to engage that truth has changed dramatically. It's a lot different when you are being either tolerated to promoted by the most powerful force on earth than when you're being openly persecuted by it on a daily basis. Whole new world opens up to you. One in view, one involves being eaten by lions; the other does not. Yeah, yes, that's a that that that's not a distinction without a difference. <laughs> okay, it's a pretty big one. And so, how do you hold on to your old truths? Because the temptation is now that this new world is open to you. When in Rome, do as the Romans, right? Well, now you know it's real easy. See, people always talk about you can tell a lot about a person's character when the chips are down. No, you can't. It's the other way around. We always, we always get on our knees and pray when we're out of a job and can't find one or there's been some national disaster or think of how full our churches were on 9-12. And then th think about how full they were on 9-19, 9-26, right? And every day henceforth. No, it's when things are going good. That's the true challenge. And this book is really the city of God. Other than maybe, you know, God, man, and Yale and stuff like that. The titular book of the modern conservative movement. And we're going to look back and see what it has to say to us more than a quarter century later, beginning when we come back. Stay tuned.
So most of us don't have a stoplight at the dinner table telling us when it's time to stop eating because that would be creepy. Good thing is nature and your creator put one right there in your body. It's a long word, but its abbreviation is OEA. And it's a signal that goes from the gut to the brain that says, hey, we're full here. We're good to go. Stop eating, get active and uh, get back to life. Unfortunately for some of us, that signal just never quite works the way it's supposed to, particularly for more of us. The older we get, the uh, the fainter it grows. Uh, and that's where Riduzone comes in. They want to see if they might be the missing link to your ongoing losing battle with the bulge, right? They just want to do one thing, put the OEA back in your body. That's all that it is. It's just OEA. It's not a stimulant, not loaded with caffeine or a bunch of other chemicals, all right? It's just OEA. And you can give it a shot now. See if this might be what has been missing from you winning the battle for a healthier lifestyle. Just go to riduzone.com, R-I-D-U-Z-O-N-E, for riduzone.com. Use my name, Steve, as a promo code. Would you do? They'll give you a special offer, okay? Riduzone.com, R-I-D-U-Z-O-N-E, riduzone.com, promo code Steve for that special offer at riduzone.com. So if you look at the the dawn of the modern conservative movement, a lot of uh, conservative historians kind of look at what was known then as the Sharon Statement. And this took place many, many years ago, or the, the William F. Buckley's publishing of God, Man, and Yale. Or is it God, Man, at Yale? No. God, Man, and Yale? I, I think so. Okay. Uh, you know, those are, and if you look at who signed on to that Sharon statement, uh, Phyllis Schlafly, Richard Vigory, William F. Buckley. I mean, these, this, these are really the founding fathers, or in Phyllis's case, mothers, uh, founding parents, we'll go with that, uh, founding stewards of the modern conservative movement. And much of what they launched in those early years ended up um, being instrumental in a guy named Ronald Reagan making the change from Democrat to conservative and was at the vanguard. He was really their vanguard or their zenith was his election as president of the United States. But then time marches on and the truths that they were attempting to conserve decades prior are still every bit as worthy, if not more so, of, cons- of conserving in this present age. And it's a new world now. There's new media opportunities, just as there was a new world for Augustine, right? Uh, a new world that he stepped into where now Rome is no longer persecuting the Christian church. It's promoting it in some sectors, and it's tolerant in all of the others. This opened up new opportunities, a new way to look at the world with those timeless truths. And if you know the history of Augustine, I mean, he belonged to a sex cult. And his mother prayed for, for years for him to be delivered out of this. And he goes from a guy that uh, belonged to, to every worldly line of thought, indulgence you could imagine, uh, to um, being arguably the most influential voice outside of the apostolic era in the entire history of the Christian church. To this present age, you can make that argument. A lot of what he wrote and what he taught more than a millennia ago. Likewise, a guy had been through uh, multiple divorces, college dropout, not highly educated, had time working as a PR f- uh, flack for the Kansas City Royals. Not necessarily anybody, if you would have found a guy named Rush Limbaugh back in, you know, when he was hanging out with George Brett in the mid 80s. Just like, you know, about 10 years before, if you would have found uh, Augustine of Hippo and said, yeah, I think you're going to be like, the first bishop of all of this. You're going to be like, no, he won't. So you'd have found this guy named Rush Limbaugh. You would have never thought that he eventually would write what is really the, the city of God of the conservative movement, a resetting 
of the old values, a resetting of the old truths, but for a new time, mass media, the, the vanguard, the dawn of conservative media that he and his radio show really were the impetus for. All of us, regardless of what you may or may not think of him and, and, and the current iteration of his career now, if you have worked and drawn a paycheck from conservative media or have enjoyed consuming any of this in the last 25 years, you all, all of us, owe Rush Limbaugh a residual. Without his success, none of us would have our phony baloney jobs and you wouldn't get the chance to listen to shows like this because he was the test tube baby. So we went back and decided we're going to look at his seminal work. Still one of the highest selling nonfiction books of all time. Rush Limbaugh is The Way Things Ought to Be from 1992. What year were you born, Aaron? 93. 93. How frequent of a Rush Limbaugh listener did you used to be? Oh, all the time. Uh, back then, yeah. This was about the time I found his show. And probably for the next 10 years, I, I mean, if I, if I could avoid not at least hearing some of it on the radio, I, I mean, I was a regular daily listener. And then I got into this on a daily basis, and I'm just like, I, I can't. I got to get some breaks from, you know, doing this for a living. Otherwise, it's going to consume me. So we thought it would be fun to go back and look at the book that really launched all of our careers in some way, shape, or form. And so we're going to be going chapter by chapter through Rush Limbaugh's The Way Things Ought to Be. And, and we think maybe this might give us the benefit of history as well in terms of have we really devolved as much as we think we have? How many, how, how much of the arguments that he was having a quarter century ago with the left in this book, how many of them are still prevalent today or have we moved on from? And then how many of the arguments that he made against the left in this time, we could, could we still make today, right? So Todd is the Catholic here who, you know, when we're going to look back on tradition, you got to be stoked about doing this, right? Oh, it, there was like a little... I, I, I thought maybe there was like a sun through the clouds halo moment when the three of us looked at each other and said, well, are we, well, that's, that's, yes. Whatever else, yes. Yeah. So let's begin. We're going to skip the introduction. It's just basically him kind of handing out, you know, thanks, hosannas, et cetera. We're going to start with the first chapter that matters um, in the book, the way things ought to be. And when my wife and I first met online, when she wanted to get to know me, she went out and bought this book. And read it because she knew how politically active and stuff I was. So this was one of the books she read to kind of get to know me better, right? So the first chapter we're going to look at, it's called Going National. And this gives, Rush gives you as a reader, kind of the backstage pass of where he came from in his career, how he ended up uh, with the number one radio show in the country, even back more than a quarter century ago. Um, His thought process going through all of those things what the radio market was like. And it has a lot to say about how this thing called conservative media was born and evolved. But um, what, what stood out, um, Aaron, I want to start with you. Yeah. As you read through this chapter, what, started out, what stood out the most to you? Well, especially, I hearken back. I felt like I was having a, a flashback to the first few months when, um, when I first started working for you back in late 2015 um, because his philosophy about his radio show is in fact, I'm pretty sure now you plagiarized your philosophy about doing radio. I told you none of us have our jobs without him. (laughs) From him, because it's just, it's exactly the same. It's like, uh, you know, our political beliefs almost should be 
irrelevant to the show. We just want to do a good show. We want to be entertaining. And that's what he says in the book. He believed that if he just was himself, just was himself, which is something that you told me to do multiple times, just be yourself. If he believed that if you were, uh, it could just be yourself and relied on, on God-given talents and could just do a really good show, your political beliefs would be irrelevant. Now, what he goes on to explain is that he didn't realize, I don't think, how impactful his show would be because he happened to be conservative because there was a hole in the market. And that's uh, essentially that that hasn't changed yet today. That part has not changed. He talks about how people were so frustrated with what they saw on the news back in the early 90s, how it was so had such a, a left wing bent that they were glomming on to him because he happened to be conservative, but he could do a, a good radio show as well. So that's that's something that I those are a couple of major observations that I made as well is that his philosophy about doing a, a radio show or doing a show or show business in general in general is just do a good show just do something that's excellent and then people uh you know people won't care um what your political beliefs are so that part I believe, though, has changed. The part about the media being biased that he talks about, that that has not changed. I don't think, I, I think as we learned last week with Steven Crowder, he does a great, just objectively well-done show. But because he happens to have beliefs that are different, he, he's going to be targeted by the left. I think that part is starting to change. Now, we're still proof. We're still proof. Um, and there's other uh, outlets that are still proof as well that if you do something well, there's still somewhat of a market for it. But I don't think his posit back in 1992 that if you're just excellent, people will listen. I don't think that's all. Uh, that's necessarily true all the way around nowadays uh, because people are so polarized. People, at least in this arena, are so polarized that they want to know that you will touch their monkey, love their monkey as much as they do before they'll listen. Don? Well, I think this book came out what, four years after he first got to New York. Is mm-hmm. that about right? He launched in 88, yes. What it, it strikes me, if you ever write a book, ultimately, about where you came from and the whole thing, it would feel like that. I think I was kind of struck by the uh, every man pull yourself up by your bootstraps, the the vulnerability and insecurities he showed in the chapter. Like, I, yeah, I had a confidence at this part, but at, uh, you know, negotiating contract and uh, what was I ready? I was just starting to get feel like a whole person in Sacramento. Where he says he was not conf- he, he was uncomfortable. With how combative new, every aspect oh, of yeah. living in New York Rush was. Rush Limbaugh said that Everything was an yeah. argument. Everything was a debate. Right. Everything. Right. right. And this is a guy who wants to do talk radio, uh, who does talk radio in mm-hmm. Sacramento, but it's Sacramento versus New York. You know, it's quite a different animal. It was, uh, you, you, you could r- really relate to that guy beyond being a Republican, a conservative, a talk show host. He's just a guy trying to make his way in the world feel, talking about his father uh, at the end in a way that uh, it's it's a, it's a different family circumstance. But you you talk all the time about why you are who you are because of the family you grew up in. Who you know how you tried to. Yeah, please. He had a dad he couldn't please. He says in the book, right. I, I had a dad that would not be pleased. See, right. There's a bit of a difference, but I get what you're saying. Yeah. I, I just I, I and the reason I bring all of this up is because I haven't listened to Rush Limbaugh in a long time. And now I think of him as being 
uh, I mean, I said it, I think, in, partially in just like a month ago, where he basically lives on his own island of Dr. Moreau, you know, doing his show on uh, he on a Florida island. He, I don't think of him as an everyman in any way, shape, or form uh, anymore. And I, I quite frankly don't even know. I don't have a grasp on how important he is to whatever the movement is currently. Yet back then, it was... You, you could not get away from the left was obsessed with him. I can't remember the last time the left said anything about Rush Limbaugh. Now, again, I might be the one living in a bubble to some extent and it's happening. So that's why no, it, one of the not often, but he's also not very active on social media at all. No, not at all. And that, that's pretty much that's the left's, you know, city gate. That's that's where they, you know, they live 24 seven as they tend to engage in that arena. So but anyway, the, there's a guy that was he not an he's not an egghead he was he doesn't come across as an mm-hmm. elitist there he comes across as a guy that you'd want to spend uh two to hours uh, during the course of the day while you're doing whatever you're doing i remember learning about rush limbaugh through one of my best friend's moms who was just a housewife and i have no idea to this day what her politics are but she said do you li-? it goes to what aaron's like do you, do you listen to rush limbaugh that's really interesting stuff mm-hmm. that that's who that guy was back then when i read through this i was i was stunned at how endearing it was yeah, yeah. i mean i i mean i was stunned you know um you're right. You really, I, I was also stunned at the level of vulnerability and insecurity yeah. and honesty that was communicated in there. And some of that may be now that you got, you know, he was just becoming the mega star that he is now. And now you're talking about one of the, uh, you know, he's up there with a Paul Harvey, Walter Winchell. You know, he's one of the biggest stars that's ever been produced by the by right the communications industry in american history since marconi invented it you know um and i i would imagine to some extent it's impossible to avoid coming across as aloof to some extent when you're that successful because everybody wants a piece of you everybody wants something from you and the only way to avoid saying yes and no uh, in an arbitrary fashion that makes undue enemies of people is just to turn yourself off from that level of exposure, right? But the level of of non shtick humanity, yeah, that is communicated in this chapter. Yeah, right. It it, it struck me when I read it as well. So because did, this guy knows shtick. Yes. So did this paragraph. In mid January, I received a mysterious call from someone claiming to represent a prominent San Francisco family. So this is where he's talking about uh, the initial overtures about syndicating him nationally. They were interested in syndicating my program. I asked Bruce, that's his manager, uh, to meet with the person on the phone and determine if there was anything to it. He met with the guy and thought it was worth another meeting, which happened. Listen to this. But I rejected the idea because the group was just too ideologically driven. They wanted my program to be oriented toward saving the country from whatever commie lib evils they thought existed. And as I, as I explain in detail in the chapter on the show philosophy, that was a big red flag. Yeah, I, I know. And you know why I found that interesting is because, um, like he had some, he points out his story, some successful business people come to him when he had no money, no capital and say, hey, we'll put up the money and capital to take you to New York and see if we can syndicate you. That's what happened to me. 
Because I had a group, I had no money or capital, you know. I, I had a group of successful businessmen come to me um, while I was working at WHO Radio and say, hey, we've seen the impact you've had in, in Des Moines and in Iowa on what's happening in the state. We'd, we'd like to put the resources around you to see if you can make have a similar impact if we gave you the opportunity to go national. And it was explicitly for the ideological reasons that they came to me that I was actually interested in doing it. Now, ultimately, Aaron is right. If we don't do a good show, and when we first launched this nationally before you guys came to work for us, when Jen, Rebecca, and I would go to the trade shows and stuff and program directors would be like, well, I heard your stuff, I heard your tape. And I'm not sure though, is it a Christian show? Is it a conservative show? I'd always push back with, is it a good show? Because a lot of people, particularly when you get into the South, um, they own both formats of radio stations, conservative and Christian. Well, the conservative stations have a lot bigger audience than the Christian ones do, right? When you go to Salem Broadcasting, which is where I came here from, they are the biggest owner of con- combined owner of conservative Christian stations in the country. And so I'd often hear from their program directors and others, are you, I, you know, I th- so I'd always push back, is it a good show? Because I, I didn't want to get defined in one of those spaces. I wanted to be defined as, is it a good show? But the reason I wanted it to be defined by a good show was because it was explicitly ideological. See, I was actually motivated. Now, in fairness to Rush, 25 years later, the commie lib evils are tiddlywinks mm-hmm. to what he was probably looking at at the time. But I was motivated to leave that safe nest of WHO explicitly because of what the future could hold for the country. And I wanted to take a shot to see if I had a platform to do something about it. So in the end, I could say I did whatever I could do at the very end. I think I was fascinated by how he dealt with the early opponents. Uh, He understood this time, it's the same thing, a a very loud but minority of people. And he then he ginned up his own base to say, Mm -hmm. well, you speak up like them too. Mm -hmm. And then when how he dealt that barbecue joint, he didn't like his use of feminazi. He's like, come on. He turned it back against me. Made him and sold them out. Yeah. Yeah. That was really well done. Um, Aaron, I'll get more of your thoughts here in just a second. But if you watch 60 Minutes recently, get nervous if you're a homeowner. They had the FBI's former head of cyber crimes on there warning about foreign and domestic terrorists forging their names uh, and signatures onto your home titles and mortgages, which are kept in databases online so they can be hacked. And then they borrow against that equity to cash you out and then stick you with the payments. Don't let that happen to you. For pennies a day, Home Title Lock will protect you when your mortgage lender, your bank, your identity theft protector won't. All right? They put a virtual barrier around your home's title. If they detect any sinister activity whatsoever, they pounce to make sure your most valuable investment, your own home, is protected. Find out right now for free whether your home's title has been uh, victimized or not at HomeTitleLock.com. That's HomeTitleLock.com. We're out of time, Aaron. I'm sorry. That's okay. We are going to break down that Iowa caucus poll and what it means for the entire Democratic field. We're going to stick around in here and tape that for overtime for our subscribers here on The Blaze. For the rest of you, we will hear and see you tomorrow. Until then, John 317. This is Steve Dace. On The Blaze Radio Network.